What is up, Fantasyland? I'm JD. This is Goat District. If you're not, if you're new to the channel, you're not familiar with us, plain and simple, guys, this is where winners come to hang. We bring you the biggest winners, VIP guests on the regular. I mean, if you're serious about fantasy, if you wake up the morning of your draft just hard, just excited about your draft with one mission, and that's to win your league, this is the channel you need to be subscribed to. You need to smash the like, smash the subscribe right now. We're serious about winning, guys. It's no joke. It's the it's what, July, August, and you're on here watching fantasy football. If you're serious about fantasy, this is the channel you need to follow, whether it's best ball, redraft. Tonight, we're going to cover a bunch of it. Tonight, we're going to get deep, man, into one of my favorite topics. Hashtag always be stacking. This man has taken one of my favorite strategies to the spotlight, has brought it to a whole new level with regards to analysis, strategy, and we have it all tonight, man. He's going to drop a ton of goodness tonight. We're going to hit some NFL news, ton of injuries happening. I'm sure you want to know what to do with these guys, whether you're drafting, trading. Guys, the goodness will keep coming on this channel. Make sure you're subscribed. There's only one thing to do, guys. Let's dance. Goat district, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing. On all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played. So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex. Send the homie a text. That trash offers the best. You try to make it complex. Then they text you back. Now all of a sudden, they don't make any sense. <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. Trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. What is up? Thank you for tuning into Goat District. Guys, huge show tonight. One of our favorite guests back on the show, talking some some pretty serious topics, whether, again, whether you're drafting, trading, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, one I talked about in the intro with stacking. Another hot topic right now is the dead zone, the RB dead zone, which we're going to hit on tonight. Jen, how's the flow? How's everything going? I know, I know you're smashing drafts right now. Uh, all over the place. So why don't you tell us a, a bit about that? What, what goodness you have brewing over there and uh, how pumped are you for tonight? Oh yeah, definitely pumped for tonight. Uh, we, we have a great guest on. We had a lot of fun the first time and uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I got, I've got several drafts going on, you know, like, like anybody who's anybody right now, you got to have the drafts going. Uh, and, uh, you know, just trying to, to buff up my exposure on those players that I just know are going to be rising up the draft boards as August goes on. So uh, that's that's what's going on with me. How about you guys? 
Theo, how are you, brother? We were talking earlier. It, it, it's kind of once these injuries start, you start looking at your ownership. And when you see Akers and Michael Thomas at the top of your ownership, you're almost like sad. You know, it's like it's like if a, it's like you're like, oh, I did all that. Like 30 percent of what I did has kind of gone to waste now. How's how's your ownership going through all these crazy injuries? I'm not on wood. My ownership is uh, has is surviving. Um, yeah. If anything, if anything happens with Antonio Gibson, I I think I'll I'll be in a world of hurt. But uh, oh, like like, like many like many of us, and I, I'm very exposed to Tyree Kill, so uh, I'm keeping an eye on on this uh, tendonitis. But I just drafted him again today, so YOLO. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm fired up. It's a, it's a great time of year. Um, Dan and I found out our our draft slots for our FFPC main event. Uh, we're splitting two teams, and um, we feel very good about our draw. So it's just, yeah, August is going to wind down before you know it. And, um, you know, we're, we're ready to go. Great guest. And, um, yeah, I'm fired up just like you guys. Oh, and Theo, we forgot to mention we have Draft Shark School tomorrow night too. Absolutely. Uh, Dan and I are in the same uh, Draft Sharks division um, with Billy Muzio, and we will be on Billy's podcast tomorrow night doing a live draft. Uh, nice. I believe it's 25 rounds, correct, Dan? Yes, twenty-five rounds, no kickers, no defense, so nice and deep. Nice and deep, yeah. It's gonna be gonna be a tough one. Some really, really good competition. Billy and Dan are, are awesome players, and we also have two former main event uh, champions in in our division. So there's some analysts, but uh, I got I got my eyes on uh, on those five guys. Those, those are those are so so, so a, a room full of lightweights is basically what you're saying. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough it's a tough ass draft. It's a tough ass draft. Yeah. Let's put it like that. All right, guys. We, uh, I mean, we, we can't waste any time. And the, the people are here uh, for this man. Uh, he's the director of analytics at Player Profiler, Breakout Finder. You know this man from the Code Breaker, Mr. Josh Larkey. Welcome back to the Goat District, my friend. Thanks for having me. I am excited. Round two, when Theo reached out and asked, if I could hop on again, I said, you know, August is a busy month, but we're going to make it happen. Here we are. I'm excited. We've got a pretty action-packed show sheet. We've got some good takes for the audience. So let's do this. Yeah, awesome. we definitely do, man. Lo- loaded with topics, uh, loaded with goodness. Uh, you know, we're going to touch on some things tonight, but maybe just, you know, a quick reminder. I know most people follow you, but if they missed something recently, just some of your recent goodness that you drop and maybe some excitement you have coming up. So if you want to keep up with what I'm working on in general, you can follow me on Twitter at tweets. I dropped a really, really good podcast with Neil Gupta, who's one of our summer analytics interns at Player Profiler. And he and I went back and forth and we talked all about winning on the margins and kind of micro strategies that you can act that you can enact within your draft and how to kind of gobble up every edge that you possibly can. So we went super in-depth game theory stacking. I also released a a big stacking guide that you can find on playerprofiler.com where I really dive into stacking and why you have to be doing it when you're in best ball tournaments. And we'll get into that more later, but those are a couple things that just happened on the horizon, we are pushing out a new DFS module for the good people. So that is just the grind time August project that we are all toiling over is creating this module that has been months and months in the process. So we had a really successful run with our DFS lineup genius last year. 
We got pretty close to taking down the Millie Maker one week even. So we're back this year. We're going to have more tools and hopefully we're going to win all the subscribers some money. So that's kind of what August is. It's just head down uh, DFS work for the most part. Yeah, which the, the head won't come up until December, January maybe, but uh, but uh, a lot of excitement coming up with with the DFS stuff. I'm sure just added to the adding to the platform and all the goodness that you guys are offering there. And I gotta say, like you're downplaying, I think these, you know, especially the 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 stacking article for me. This is a cornerstone piece in 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 fantasy football. And if you're not reading that article, go check it out right now because. You know, on this channel, we were, you know, hashtag always be stacking. I mean, we're big fans of the strategy for years now. But like I said, you've really kind of quantified this and defined this strategy in such a way that I think it's important for people to know. And, you know, like I think you literally silenced the naysayers because you always heard those like haters of stacking. Right. And now you I mean, you just lay it all out and there's no way to deny uh, the benefits of the strategy. And that pod that you had um is it with was it with neil sorry the the gentleman you had on recently that was neil neil uh great pod and even his article was was interesting uh Mm -hmm. you know kind of looking at what you did for best ball and then you know kind of reflecting that into the redraft world yeah i'm really glad that everyone got to kind of see his mind i'm super lucky that i have uh neil and michael two analytics interns to help me out because my summer would not be the same without them. Just uh, when it comes to everything from uh, trading off stacking research and making sure that anything that I'm doing is actually uh, working out well and that they can try and break any process I do and confirm whether or not what I'm doing really works. So it's good to have that extra set of eyes. I had a big meeting with the two of them this morning and we just pushed out some updated rankings to our draft kit because... Uh, as we're about to talk about, a, a lot happened this past week. <laughs> Understatement. Just a little. Understatement right there. So, guys, you know, shout out to, to Wheeler. Shout out to, to Anna uh, in, the, in the chat. Guys, smash the like button. As we go through this, as we talk about targets, avoids, you know, stacking, give us your thoughts, man, in the comments. Uh, we we want to hear from you guys. Guys, let's get into the goodness. Like, like Josh said, there are so many things this is something I think we're going to start doing on a weekly basis is go through the NFL news, but kind of in a rapid fire way. And that's just because like Josh said, man, it, you know, the, the notifications on your phone are, are almost on an hourly basis right now. Uh, if not even, you know, less, uh, more frequency with regards to the news and injuries and so on. So guys, let's get right into it. Let's start in green Bay. I mean, obviously this whole summer has been about Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, what he's been wearing and what, how he's been looking and, and how he's been feeling. But I'll, I'll start this off uh, with you, Josh. You know, where are you drafting the Packers? And maybe now with Rodgers coming back, how has that adjusted these Green Bay weapons for you when you're drafting? So I'm just going to make one quick connection. When I was on, I think, two and a half, three months ago, I remember one of the three of you had just done a big trade to grab Rodgers and Dynasty. I don't remember who, there we go, JD. And we were talking about how it's just hard to imagine, at the very least, he's going to play probably in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. And I think the the two guys that we should get into first would be Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams. And I still think there's an ADP lag in value to be had. I'm just going to, spoiler alert, I have Aaron Jones in PPR leagues as 
the fifth best overall player. And Devontae Adams is the seventh best overall player. I love how condensed this offense is. It's one of the few offenses where you really know exactly the pecking order at the top and that those two guys are going to be getting such a huge share of the volume. And it's really hard to find that in many other elite offenses. So right now you can still get them kind of late first. Sometimes they even still leak into the second round. And you just have to be drafting those guys if you see them in the late first round. Yeah, 100% agree on that. Yeah. Then with Rodgers, it's kind of funny actually because I think Rodgers in a vacuum is actually kind of mispriced the opposite direction. And I know that a lot of people get frustrated that I don't like Aaron Rodgers this year and they go, how, how can you not like Aaron Rodgers? You like, you like Aaron Jones, you like Devontae Adams, you have to like Rodgers. But the problem is that you frequently have to take Rodgers before somebody like Tom Brady now. And Tom Brady's in a much higher volume offense. He has better overall receiving weapons where his big three is probably the best big three in the entire sport. So I, I just can't justify Rodgers over Brady. It's even tough for me to justify Rodgers over Jalen Hurts. I still think that you should continue to smash the draft button on Jalen Hurts and do it before Rodgers, just with the with the rushing upside of 10 rush attempts per game. So Aaron Rodgers as this lower volume, incredibly efficient quarterback really has to have the, the 7, 8, 9% touchdown rate in order to pay off his current ADP. So I really think the only time that you should draft Aaron Rodgers right now is if you have Devontae Adams. I, I don't really see another way to justify that ADP currently where I think it's, what is it in the, it's in the seventies now I, I've seen it around kind of 75 is what it seems like it's shaking out at. And that's just, that's quite frankly, too rich for me. I love, I love the take on uh, Adams and Jones. It, it's such a, it's like a narrow target tree and you know, they're, they're going to lean on those two guys. Um, we saw Adams smash last year and it seems like Jones is kind of poised for potentially a career year. Um, you know, we talked about it on, on, on the pod, um, how Jamal Williams is like that sneaky, sneaky guy out of the, out of the equation where you're talking about like, you know, 30 plus receptions, back-to-back seasons, those could potentially go to Aaron Jones and he could absolutely smash even with similar rushing volume. If he just absorbs those catches, um, you know, he, he should have a smash season. So I, I'm with you on those. Mm-hmm. Days. And Josh, how did you know I just traded for Jalen Hurts yesterday? Oh, no way. That is. I, 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 I mean, it, for me, fantasy is super easy. As soon as someone I likes value goes down for whatever reason, I mean, it's just, it's just a, a re, it's like, it's like crypto. It's like stocks. It's just, it's just, you get an opportunity to buy more. That's basically all it is for me. And uh, Jalen Hurts, kind of like Rogers for me. Uh, again, this was supposed to be rapid fire, but um, I just think <laughs> that, you know, let's say worst case scenario, he gets traded. He's still going to be a starter. He's still going to be. He's still going to have all those, you know, the running uh, weapons. He's still, I mean, for me, it's you, you just buy these guys at the discount and you're always gaining value uh, if you play it smart. And Rodgers was a perfect example of that. And right now, I think, like you said, Jalen Hurts is, is next in line for that. Yeah, it's it's really tough to see Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I play a lot on underdog. I've got the shirt on. Nice. And he was going in the 110s up until he reported to camp. Mm-hmm. So when you're now grabbing him in the 70s, you you're basically conceding that you made a four or five round mistake. Yeah. And I just really hate doing that. So like, yeah, it's 
it's it's t- kind of tough to if you're in a tournament where people were grabbing Aaron Jones or Adams in the second round, it can be a little difficult to say like, oh, I'm now grabbing them in the first round in this tournament where other people have already taken them round two. But I feel like it's especially true for Rodgers just because I don't see the upside case unless he has a 9% touchdown rate, which I mean, no quarterbacks ever back-to-back seasons, a touchdown rate anywhere remotely close to Rodgers. So he just screams regression candidate. Wheeler wants to know with Hertz, are you going naked or are you stacking him with Rager? I usually stack him with Rager. I just have a hard time going naked quarterback. I think Hertz is one of the, He's one of the only quarterbacks that I think that you can do it with where you're not really losing an edge. So it's hard for me to determine if how much you're gaining when you add Rager in the stack. The one guy that I think you shouldn't be stacking him with is Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith's ADP, I think it's getting a little out of hand. Maybe with uh, this new this new injury that he has, his ADP will drop a little bit. But it's really difficult if if the knock on Hurts is that he's inaccurate and he's going to have low pass volume because he rushes so much. Why are we pushing his wide receiver one into the sixties and seven or low seventies of ADP? Good point. That's what I have a hard time with is that you're, you're kind of, there's sort of this disjointed connection of Hertz is so good on the ground and we don't think he's a good passer. Oh, but his uh, rookie wide receiver. Yeah. That, that guy is really going to feast even though there's Goddard and there's Ertz and there's Rager and there's Sanders and there's Gainwell and there's all these other guys that are going to be getting some type of receiving work. So I really like Hertz with Rager the best. If I could choose kind of any combo of that, I've done some Hertz Goddard, but Goddard just right now with Ertz there too, it's a little bit difficult to see his, his total breakthrough role. So Rager still, I mean, great ADP in the one thirties. Oh Yeah. Yeah, Rager's cheap. Okay, I promise we'll do more rapid fire as we go through this. It's, <laughs> it's, our, first, it's our first attempt, guys. You know, there's there's a lot of goodness. But um, going to the – or actually, no, actually, uh, Theo, uh, you had a nice uh, question here with regards to um, tertiary pieces with, like, A.J. Dillon, similar to what uh, Kevin is, is touching on, like MVS and um, – oh, wow, I'm blanking on his name. What's um, the other receiver? like and again josh like just i want to know your thoughts on these guys but i find even their adps like haven't really moved up they're still like way deep in these drafts you're finding mvs and and lazard what are your thoughts on on these kind of uh secondary or third third uh option in that offense the one that i'm most intrigued by as the adps are shaking out and as cobb who i thought i was going to be above consensus on randall cobb i think I have him in the 170s for my best available players in redraft, but now he's kind of going in the the 150s to 160s, and that seems pretty high to me considering who Randall Cobb is at this stage of his career. I think Amari Rogers is a pretty good deal because his ADP has dropped a little bit. It's around 200 now on most platforms, and this was a third-round receiver that they supposedly had a round two grade on it's kind of the only receiver with any type of substantial draft capital from the last few years for the Packers. So I really like Amari Rogers grabbing the slot. I don't know if Cobb is going to start there the first few weeks or what's going to shake out there, but the, the case, the case for Rogers is that 
you're probably going to have a Cobb injury at some point if he gets too many snaps. So therefore, they're probably going to snap count him, in which case, who else is playing the slot? I like the rookie going at pick 200, playing with a Hall of Fame quarterback who you know is going to be out on the field getting real work. We know that he's dynamic after the catch. So I think that he's really the, the best option right now where you can get, I mean, rookie fever for some reason just really didn't hit Rodgers. So I like the Aaron Rodgers, Amari Rodgers, late connection quite a bit. What about A.J. Dillon? I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. Um, what about A.J. Dillon, Josh? What, what way are you treating Dillon? Um, is he a target of yours or one that you're considering kind of at ADP? Yeah, I think Dylan's fine at ADP. I'm not super excited about drafting him. I would say I'm a, I'm around just average exposure to Dylan. I can see the case for him where he's a touchdown monster and he hits 10 touchdowns and he takes some of that goal line work from Aaron Jones. But I really don't see the, the receiving upside for him. And we've just seen so little out of him that, I mean, yes, in theory, the 250-pound guy – that's just as fast as 205 pound Aaron Jones on paper. That sounds great, but I don't think we've really seen enough to know that he's actually in any way a better runner than Aaron Jones in any phase of the game. So that's kind of what's preventing me from running away and saying, Oh, if Jamal Williams was good in this offense, then AJ Dillon, he was a, he was a round two pick. He must be better. So that's kind of why I have sort of tempered enthusiasm with Dillon, but it's not like I'm avoiding him. I think, I think he's, I think he's fine where he goes. Yeah, but the thing I like best about Dylan is just the fact that the uh, Aaron Rodgers is, or excuse me, Aaron Jones has not been, you know, exactly the picture of health. He he gets nicked up at least once a season, and the Green Bay medical staff, once somebody gets nicked up, they hold him out for five weeks. So, uh, you know, that's that's where I see the value of uh, Dylan is that I think there's going to be some point. Uh, during the season where he's going to get like a, a three to five game run without Aaron Jones. Uh, you know, I might be wrong on that, but you know, if I'm right, I think uh, Dylan could definitely smash on those weeks and be worthwhile where you pick him. That's a good point. The worry I have is that if Aaron Jones goes out, that Kylan Hill gets a lot of the receiving work. He's kind of yeah. this black box where, I mean, no one knows anything about him and he had, like a 15 target game this past year in college, but then he only played three games. But then if you look at his game logs, he actually only really played two games and then commanded almost 30 targets, I believe in those two games. So he's kind of a weird running back. who's taken in the seventh round. So that probably doesn't mean that much, but at the same time, when the, when the starting running back who just got his massive extension was a day three pick himself and was undersized in Aaron Jones, you have to think that if there was a coaching staff that would go purely on merit, it might be the Packers for the running back room. So that's my one fear with uh, maybe Dylan doesn't quite get unleashed, but I, I do think there's that chance. I mean, we saw it last year in that one game. Was it was it the Titans game where it was the snow game and he had 20-something fantasy points and just kind of ran all over them? So I, I can see it with Dylan. Yeah, it's an interesting point with Hill um, and – it's kind of, maybe that's just the Packers um, MO um, like even Jones, he gets like last year was like 50% snap guy the year before. I think he was like a 60% snap guy. So it seems like they want to rotate their running backs and get them in. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, Dylan would Dylan would potentially get a huge share, but I think there would be another back, um, you know, mixed in at least receiving wise. So 
be interesting to see. But uh, if Dylan does get some targets, he could he could absolutely smash. Um, I, he didn't see it at Boston College, but I'm I'm not I'm not so sure that they would not use him as a receiver. Uh, Jones was out, but uh, we'll be interested to see what uh, what happens with Hill during preseason. Carolyn Hill, the first and last Debbie player I ever draft in in any Debbie league. I mean, that was in Pigs three, and I'm like, why did I even draft this guy? Um, <laughs> I don't get the Debbie thing. Uh, guys, we got to do rapid fire because right now we're failing miserably at the rapid fire aspect of this segment. We want to get to the goodness, uh, to Josh's goodness. So, real quick, obviously, people wondering with the with the um, Acres injury, Josh Henderson and Xavier Jones. Where are you on these guys right now? Where they're currently going? Darrell Henderson, I think he's kind of a round five pick. I think kind of each, every few days that should go up a little bit. Every kind of every few days they don't sign a veteran. His ADP should tick up a little, and I'm okay with that. I don't want anything to do with Xavier Jones, Jake Funk, Raymond Clay, nothing. I I don't believe that these guys are necessarily going to have any kind of role. It just feels like at those in that range, just grab a guy like Rashad Penny, who looks like the number two running back behind Carson, who can never stay healthy. Or even later on, you can grab Jarek McKinnon, who looks like he's probably going to be the number two running back in Kansas city. So I just, I don't see it with these guys. I think they're just being propped up because of the depth chart. So stay away is completely for me after Henderson. Yeah. I I don't mind uh, Xavier if he falls, uh, but he is starting to get up into the territory where it's, you know, there are just a lot better picks out there. Scooting over to Indy with my Colts. Obviously, the offense being without Wentz uh, for a bit, obviously debatable on on all that, but uh, obviously they're going to be without him for, for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So anyone bump up, bump down? I mean, now we have the injury of Nelson as well, uh, who someone was asking in the chat, so I apologize uh, who that was. But uh, what are your thoughts on the Colts right now with the current situation? I mean, you have to kind of drop all of them. It's unfortunate because it's like, Oh, we have to sort of drop the receivers because of Wentz. Oh, God. Now, Jonathan Taylor has to get dropped because not only is the offense going to be worse with a worse quarterback, but now the best left guard in the game is out for similar to however long Wentz is out. I think the one guy whose ADP probably shouldn't really change, kind of the only one, would be Michael Pittman. It really seems like they want him to be that alpha wide receiver one. That's the first read frequently. And generally those guys are, they're kind of quarterback proof where no matter who the quarterback is, you know that Pittman's going to be getting his targets if he, if they really view him as the wide receiver one. And that if you have a less experienced quarterback who's either uncomfortable with pressure and not going through read progressions and is just going to kind of target the first read more often. And Pittman's the guy that kind of helps him in terms of getting more targets potentially. So I think that he's kind of the one guy where you shouldn't really change your thoughts on him unless you truly think he's terrible and that he's not the the top receiver there. And then everyone else, I think you just you have to downgrade them. I mean, Wentz is borderline undraftable right now in almost every league format. So yeah, it's kind of a tough scene to have the the double blow of QB left guard. Our first on the clock of the night. One word answer, gentlemen. One word answer. I'm going to go around. Josh, as our guest, Taylor or Chubb? Taylor. Theo? 
I'm, I'm still probably on the clock. I'm still probably going Taylor, but it's like taking the guy with the, the banged up offensive line versus the guy with the best offensive line in football. So closer than it was, the, right? Probably the wrong answer, but I'll, I'll go Taylor. <laughs> Dan, any different? Yeah, I'll go Chubb. Nice. You know, and I, I am not the world's biggest Chubb apologist by any stretch, but I, I think, uh, you know, just the fact he's run by that good offensive line and, uh, you know, he's got a, uh, a coach that's going to feed him the ball. And, you know, just like Taylor, I, I'm not sure how much of the passing game work he's going to get. So to me, they're kind of the same guy, except one of them has a quarterback in an offensive line and the other one doesn't. I'm going to go back to Philly just because I want to make sure we uh, we answer our peeps, right? That's that's why we're here at the end of the day. And going back to Philly, Gainwell or Boston Scott as Philly passing down? Or will Miles go fill three down back? I think it's going to be kind of a split between Sanders and Gainwell with the third down, long down and distance, the, those types of situations. I don't really think that they're going to trust the – the round five rookie who hasn't actually played since 2019 with that kind of work right out the gate. But I do think he's going to get some of that at some point. And I just don't think Boston Scott is a particularly good running back. I know a lot of people like him because he's, he looks like an every man and he's shifty, but I'm going Gainwell over Scott. All right. I'm going to hit this last team. Cause I want to selfishly ask you about a player and then I'm going to pass it over to, to Theo to start hammering you with the goodness. But obviously Michael Thomas being out, uh, I, I hear you and I share some pain with regards to ownership percentages uh, with guys like acres and Thomas, but uh, I'm curious dynasty wise. I know tonight we're focusing best ball redraft, but dynasty wise, I'm sure a lot of people wondering what to do. I know personally I've sold two shares. Now one was for Rondell Moore and a third. The other one is for, um, uh, oh man. Smith, Devontae Smith, and a third. Um, my logic just being that if I'm losing, I, I, I personally feel that these guys a year from now are ahead of Thomas anyways in value, so I feel like I'm gaining there. But uh, if, if there is a difference and you still consider Thomas ahead, I feel like the, the upside on those guys, you know, between now and the time that Thomas comes back, obviously Smith now being injured, and yes, I accepted a draft before or a trade before I looked at the, the latest news on that. I didn't realize he was injured, but... I want to know your thoughts just real quick with Thomas dynasty. If you, if you, whoever's watching right now, if they hold Thomas, what are, what are you doing with it? What's your suggestion with the situation? Michael Thomas, if he's on your dynasty team right now, you need to be selling him. Think about a few weeks from now, two months from now, three months from now, his value is just going to go down because he's not going to come back. And then when he comes back, it's not even like it's the most desirable situation to begin with. We don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. He's probably going to be on a snap count when he first returns. I I just really don't see the the case where Michael Thomas is gaining value the next few months is a really tough one for me to understand. And I think it's more likely that people realize, wow, when you're in your late 20s and you have an ankle injury that you didn't take care of and ultimately needed surgery several months later than you should have gotten it, wow, this is a rough timetable. And I think it's kind of just a lost season in general. So I, I would say the, the actionable advice, sell him now and then maybe you can just buy him back a year from now, depending on how he finishes the year. But it, his value, it, it's not going to go up for at least two months. 
aspire sports saying his best days are behind him. And, and that's exactly kind of my logic yep. there. Theo, Dan, I know we, we talked in the DMS about this. Obviously I annoyed you guys with, uh, with my question on, on these guys, like in my, you know, where do, where do you guys feel that these val- the values are with these guys, anything to add with, with Thomas and what people should be doing uh, in dynasty? Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out there. If you can't get them sold right now for a price that you like, uh, then I am okay with holding him until he gets close to returning because there are just so many fantasy players out there who are just so overly optimistic when it comes to injuries. And they think, you know, Thomas is going to step right back in and he's going to elevate the whole offense and everything's going to be fine. And, you know, and, and especially if it's, if that same fantasy owner is the one who is really hurting at wide receiver, uh, you know, then that's going to be your, your target right there. But I do think that, uh, you know, there's there's always a, you know, kind of that surge of optimism that comes just before a player comes back. And often it gets crushed, but you just got to get that player sold before the optimism gets crushed again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I sold my last on a share last week. Um, I, I packaged him with Nick Chubb to get Tyreek Hill, which was a, a move that maybe three months ago people would have said that you're overpaying but I think now I'm getting, you know, one of the top wide receivers in football uh, for basically Nick Chubb. I think there's a chance Michael Thomas never plays another snap for the Saints. Nothing would surprise me with Michael Thomas' situation. The guy should have gotten surgery right after the playoff loss. Instead, he's getting surgery during the preseason. Um, you know, he has all these, um, you know, problems with his teammates, problems with his head coach. He's already gotten paid the big contract. I think there's so many red flags of Michael Thomas. And plus, Josh brought up the fact that he's already past the age apex that a lot of these wide receivers start to fall off anyway. So, and we talked about in in the pre-show, you know, he was such a perfect fit with Drew Brees. You know, his style matched up with Drew Brees perfectly. You know, short little little rounds, you know, the slants. um, You know, he, he was a perfect match with Drew Brees. You already had some questions if it's Taysom Hill and him. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad to be rid of Michael Thomas. I enjoyed the the points he got me when he was in his prime, but I'm 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 happy to be you know out of the Thomas business. All right, Theo, I'm going to pass this to you because I kind of hogged that that first segment there, just just wanting to speed through what we did not speed through because we're already at 35 <laughs> minutes. But guys, we're we're about to get into the goodness. Make sure you stick around, uh, smash the like, smash the subscribe. Theo, I'm going to pass it to you. Let's hit the stacking. I mean, like I said, uh, Josh is is doing something, you know, I think that's, it's, uh, you know, like I said, a kind of a staple uh, in fantasy football w- when it comes to where he's putting stacking in strategies. Because I think that a lot of people talked about it, but we never really had the, the quantifiable reasons why we were doing this and how exactly to do it properly. So, Theo, let's, I mean, let's pick his brain, man, because this is, this is what, what it's for. No, absolutely. And um, I retweeted this article um, this morning. Uh, it was one of the best articles I've read all summer long. Um, Josh basically put out the, 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 the best, one of the best stacking advice, like JD, JD said, um, that anyone will ever read. So, read. so make sure you check that out. Um, so we'll jump right back into it. Um, what is your approach with stacking in major tournaments? Um, you know, like underdog but then also in tournaments like the football guys on FFPC, uh, the main event with FFPC, um, you know, big, big tournament settings. 
So any kind of large field tournament, you really have to stack. And kind of a, a high-level idea of why you should be stacking is what you're really looking for are the ceiling outcomes. You want, if you're in a huge tournament, you need several players on your team to greatly exceed their ADP. You can't really win a tournament if you're like, oh, you know what? I didn't really miss on any picks. No one did that well, but at least I didn't have any total duds. No, no, no. You need to hit on one, maybe even two players that are kind of like a a league winner in terms of where they finished based on where they were drafted. And the way to do that is with stacking. Because let's just say that Tyreek Hill greatly outperforms his ADP. Let's say that Tyreek Hill has the Devontae Adams season from 2020, and that's his 2021. Who else did Devontae Adams carry and vice versa? Who carried Devontae Adams? Aaron Rodgers. It's really tough for one of these elite receivers to smash ADP and not have their quarterback do the same. So if you had Rodgers Adams, think about how many times last year you got a 30-point performance from both Rodgers and from Adams. And that's really what you want to do is that when you're stacking, you don't need to get two players correct. The way to think about it is that you're getting one offense correct. And that, sure, you could say, all right, I I grabbed Keenan Allen in the third round. I'm not going to grab Justin Herbert in the seventh round because, you know, like, I mean, Keenan Allen might not have a good season, which is true. Keenan Allen could totally bust but if your round three keenan allen pick busted are you even really winning any tournaments to begin with no you're not going to have a totally busted third round pick and still take down the tournament what you should be doing is thinking about okay i took keenan allen in the third round i think he's going to have a really good season for him to beat adp i think he's going to be a top five top six wide receiver Let's say that Keenan Allen has 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns. Pretty tough to see Justin Herbert flopping at ADP. In fact, he's probably going to do really well based on where he was drafted. So that's kind of the idea behind stacking is that rather than needing to hit on multiple individual pieces, like let's say that I had Tyreek Hill and Justin Herbert. For For that tournament team to do really well, I need the Chiefs offense to be totally cooking. And I need the Chargers offense to be totally cooking. It's much easier just to say, all right, I have Tyreek Hill. I grabbed Mahomes because I think the Chiefs will be good. Infinite variables to think about. But that when you stack, it's basically like a two-for-one deal where it's not two players anymore. It's one offense. And I think that's the huge theoretical piece that is kind of eye-opening to a lot of people is that they sort of think of stacking like, oh, but you should have... You should have diversified your risk. And that in this context, it's not really diversifying your risk. It's actually just giving yourself more variables to worry about because now you're worrying and rooting on more different offenses. So hopefully that on a high level can help people understand why they might want to read this article where they go, oh, you know what? I hadn't thought of it like that. Maybe I'm actually not diversifying risk when I avoid stacking at all costs, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are still just vehemently anti-stacking. 
I, I love, I, sorry, Theo, I just want to say, I love how you said it, it was like betting against yourself. And it, it's, that's exactly yep. like that to me, that just, it's, we always said you're telling a story and then all of a sudden you're trying to correct your story in the middle of your draft. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Sorry, Theo, yeah. go ahead, buddy. No, I, I love, I love the term ceiling outcomes. And it's, it's, it's basically, um, you know, when you're in these tournaments, you're not trying to be fourth. You know, you're, you're willing to finish later in, in order to finish first. So you're giving yourself more exposure to a good thing happening twice. I mean, I, I love that, um, that phrase. Um, just one thing not on the show sheet, stacking in, in, a, in a tournament like the underdog where it's, a, it's an 18, uh, 18 uh, uh, round or FFPC where it's essentially 18 plus a kicker and a defense, what is your ideal number of players to pair with the quarterback? Is it just a single correlation, like a skinny stack, or is it? Are you looking at these double-on quarterback plus two p plus two players, you know, quarterback plus three players potential stacks? So, from my research, and I was also I only looked at the underdog best ball mania tournament from last season, which had about forty thousand entries. I was able to get access to some incredibly detailed data from that, so I just dove headfirst into that. And the two kind of most optimal combinations throughout the entire tournament, whether it was the early round of the tournament where you're just trying to finish top two in your 12-person division to the later rounds of a tournament where suddenly you just keep pooling uh, the best teams together and suddenly it becomes kind of like a DFS game where each week you have to outcompete more and more teams. And the two optimal combinations were either three skinny stacks, which is where you take three quarterbacks. Generally, you're not going to take them too early. So this is not saying like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tua. That would be that's that's a lot of draft capital. But if you go three mid to late round quarterbacks and take one pass catcher on each of their teams, that kind of uh, so in the early rounds you had to finish top two of twelve teams to advance, which is one in six. The teams that had three skinny stacks advanced at about a one in five clip. So already you're making a one in six equation, a one in five equation. And then the other one was two double stacks. So you have two quarterbacks. So maybe we have, uh, we could do Josh Allen and uh, we'll stick with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He's kind of fun. So in that case, you might have Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs and uh, Dawson Knox. So that could be two players on Allen's team where if either of them has a good game, it's very likely Josh Allen does. And then the other one is you could have Tua with Will Fuller and Jalen Waddle. So that would be an idea of having two double stacks. So those were the two combos where you basically make a one in six chance of advancing, a one in five chance. And then also in those later rounds of the tournament, you have if potentially even a greater advantage over the competition that the numbers were actually even more promising once it becomes kind of like a one week DFS game, because as we all know from, if you're playing DraftKings, you need to stack, you want that one week correlation. So it helps you in the front end and the back end. I think that's great. Um, there was one negative correlation that your article found out. Um, do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? It was a uh, quarterback running back correlation. Sure. So pretty much any quarterback receiver, no matter who it is, if it's the, the receiver one, two, three, four, tight end one, the backup tight end, all those positions are very positively correlated with the quarterback. 
And I know that might sound scary. Positive, what is positive correlation? All that means is that they move together. So if the quarterback has a good day and the wide receiver is positively correlated, there's a good chance the quarterback or the, the receiver has a good day. If the quarterback has a bad day, probably the receiver has a bad day. The quarterback running back, it's very slight, but it is negatively correlated, which means they move oppositely. So if the running back has a huge game, that probably means they had a couple rushing touchdowns, which are directly taking from the quarterback. Vice versa, if the quarterback has a big day and has three passing touchdowns, there's probably fewer rushing touchdowns for the running back. So I think the the actionable piece from this is that I, because it's very slightly negative, so it's not necessarily that huge of a deal, it doesn't mean that you can't draft uh, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott on the same team. But overall, for starting running backs, more often than not, that is not going to be the optimal strategy, if that makes sense. So it doesn't mean it can't happen. And there's some pass-catching running backs that aren't going to follow this rule. So uh, the, the highest ADP running back on the Cardinals is Chase Edmonds. Do I think that Chase Edmonds is going to have a huge day because of goal line carries when he's had one goal line carry in his entire NFL career? No. Chase Edmonds is probably a great guy to stack with Kyler Murray, where you know that when Chase Edmonds has a big day, he's probably getting a lot of catches and probably a receiving touchdown. But that it's more like Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Ezekiel Elliott, Dak Prescott. These, these types of moves are probably, in the long run, not the optimal play. And then I'm actually going to get into one more type of negative correlation. And I think that this one is actually super important for people to understand because this, this is huge with best ball is the negative correlation week to week between receivers on the same team with the idea being that if a receiver has two touchdowns, those are two touchdowns that cannot go to any other receiver. So yes, if you had, Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson and Lockett has two touchdowns or three touchdowns as we saw multiple times last year. Wilson has a huge day. You know who doesn't have a huge day though would be DK Metcalf. It's really difficult for Lockett to have his 200 yard three touchdown game and then be like, oh yeah, by the way, it's okay. Metcalf had hundred yards and two touchdowns himself. That doesn't happen very often. So in basketball, I really like grabbing multiple receivers on the same team, especially late. So if I have Tyreek Hill on my team, in season-long correlation, Tyreek Hill and Demarcus Robinson are probably going to be positively correlated in the sense that if one has a good season, there's a good chance the other might have a good season because the Chiefs are just good. But week to week, they're actually probably going to be the opposite, where if Tyreek Hill has a good game, he's stealing touchdowns from Robinson. So if you're in best ball, that's a great pairing to have Tyreek Hill and then at the end of your draft, grab a Demarcus Robinson where, oh man, this is a horrible week. I can't believe it. Tyreek Hill got me three catches for 20 yards. He's not cracking my lineup. There's a pretty good chance that in that specific week, due to the negative correlation week to week, that it's because Demarcus Robinson went bananas and he had a great matchup. So a couple other ones I like is if you grab Judy or Sutton, I love taking KJ Hamler at the end of your draft where if Judy or Sutton has a bad week, there's a pretty good chance. <laughs> KJ so Hamler's right one, <laughs> yeah. There's a good chance like KJ Hamler has his like hundred yard and one or two touchdowns. So that's really where you can gain edges on the margins, being aware 
of how to successfully leverage correlation and stacking. And that for this double wide receiver tandem, even if you don't have them stacked with a quarterback, it's still good. So let's just say that you whiffed on Mahomes and you had Tyreek Hill. You should still shoot for Demarcus Robinson and have two Kansas City receivers. If you whiff on, uh, I mean, it's kind of a funny example. If you whiff on Bridgewater or Locke, or you just said, you know what, I don't like them, but you already had Sutton from earlier in your draft, grab KJ Hamler. Because let's just say that the whole Denver offense flops. That's what you're worried about, right? I mean, it's, it might be a terrible offense. Then why were you taking Cortland Sutton in the first place if you thought it was such a bad offense? Yeah. That's kind of why it's like you can't bet on yourself. And like, oh, you took a receiver on that team early? You are now obligated to keep attacking that team because you have planted your flag. Those early rounds, you are flag planting. And that's kind of what you should think about it as is your round one pick, round two pick, round three pick, etc. You are planting your flag. That is the player that I think is going to outperform ADP. So why not keep making rational decisions from that point forward with which teams you like? Sorry, Josh. Anna's asking, uh, where can I read more about this? She obviously went to grab her popcorn while we were uh, giving her the uh, the directives. So, guys, player profiler. First of all, player profiler, we, you know, we talk about it on the regular on the show, must have. Must have in every way. Josh Larkey, obviously a big reason for that, but all the analytics, the goodness, the, you know, the... The player profilers, the pro player profiles. Um, I mean, just everything you need when you're looking at, at analytics. And uh, so, Anna, check that out. And the questions are coming in. So, uh, Theo, I apologize. I'm going to pass it right back to you. But I do want to go to Wheeler's question, and I'm going to add to it because, again, this is all important. Um, he's asking RB tight end negative correlation question mark. Is that a good stack? And I'm going to ask you because I had this discussion with Theo and Dan. Uh, in a draft that we're in, where are you with drafting RBs on the same team? Like, you know, Buffalo, for example, like maybe grabbing Moss and Singletary. Give us your thoughts on on the, the handcuff aspect. Cool. So just to quickly hit on the running back tight end, I actually haven't dove super intensely into that. I know from reading prior research that others have done that Yes, generally running backs and tight ends take from each other because they often operate kind of in the short to intermediate range of the field with their targets. I would say that Swift Hawkinson is a good stack to have. I like that one. I actually kind of enjoy if I go kind of the trash quarterback strategy in best ball and I have two kind of bad quarterbacks, I can grab Jared Goff in the final round. And if I have Swift and Hawkinson, you could potentially have 45 40 to 45% target share of that offense tied up in players that where with Hawkinson, he's at tight end. There's just a lot of scarcity there. And it's not like Hawkinson needs to have 1200 yards to crush his ADP. And then with Swift, he's also going to have the goal line carries and that he's a running back. So I kind of like the idea of Swift Hawkinson where it's a sneaky one where very few offenses run through, not the wide receivers at all but Detroit really looks like that. And then to hit uh, the other, remind me of the other running backs, just, just running backs, handcuffing. Uh, Does it matter, you know, where that second running back maybe goes versus the first one? Yeah. Great. So, Oh, also to answer Anna's question, it's called the complete guide to stacking in best ball. You can find that on playerprofiler.com. The, 
podcast I mentioned with Neil is it's called Daniel Jones, best ball hero. You just go to the Roto underworld podcast feed and you're going to see from several episodes ago, you'll see code breaker season one, episode 11, Daniel Jones, best ball hero. And one of the things that we break down, Neil and I, is that yes, in redraft, you probably shouldn't be handcuffing because you're only going to start one of these guys a week. And I mean, if the if the starter's healthy, you're never starting the backup. Best ball is kind of a different story. And we in that episode, we highlighted a few running back pairings that we actually think are positive EV for best ball. So one example of that would be Damian Harris and James White. And that you grab both those players on the same best ball team. Because if you think about it week to week, if you're in a redraft league, are you ever starting James White? Can you ever confidently say this, this week, there it is. This is his nine target game where he has 75 receiving yards and a touchdown. (laughs) Pretty difficult to pinpoint. If you're starting him, you're going to get a lot of like two to three point weeks, most likely. So in redraft, it doesn't really make sense because assuming Damian Harris is healthy, when are you starting James White? But in best ball, Damian Harris isn't very expensive. Neither is James White. And what you can say is that I'm locking up, locking up 15 points a week, pretty much guaranteed, and that you have two running back slots and they're precious and you have to fill them. And... If Damian Harris doesn't get the job done, there's a good chance that they're in comeback mode and James White is completely outperforming his expectation and vice versa. If Damian Harris has a 20-point game, James White does nothing for you. But with the draft capital that you're investing, it's not like you grab Damian Harris in the 8th or ninth round and James White in the 16th round thinking, these are the two running backs I'm starting every single week. Whereas in redraft, you kind of have to do that where the running backs, you really have to pick and choose this week. This is who starts. So I like kind of the pass catching, non-pass catching handcuffs a lot. One more that I think is interesting, Derek Henry, Darrington Evans. We don't really know what Darrington Evans role is. I have no idea. I know he's a far better pass catcher than Henry. I know he's a third round pick and I know he's really talented and looks like an all purpose back. Now, if you take those two, what you shouldn't be thinking is I'm doing this because what if Derrick Henry uh, tears his ACL? Oh, then I've got Darrington Heavens. No, no, no. If that happens, you lost your round one pick. Your team is donezo. What you should be thinking is Derrick Henry is the most volatile running back in the NFL week to week. We know this. We we play fantasy football. He's either, he's either getting you 25 fantasy points or he's getting you like 11 or nine. There's not a lot of average performances from Henry. And the idea is that let's say that Henry has one of his clunkers where he has 20 rushes for 85 yards, no touchdowns. You know, there's a good chance maybe Evans has a receiving touchdown or he's getting targeted and that we don't expect their roles within the same game to be anything remotely similar. And that's a nice way to say, On the off chance, those three to four weeks that my round one running back isn't in my optimal lineup, there's a good chance Darrington Evans saves me and is vaulted into that one of those two precious running back slots. So that's kind of the idea behind handcuffing and best ball. Because I know at this point it's kind of been beaten to death that you shouldn't really be handcuffing 
for the most part in a, a managed redraft league. Like you shouldn't be taking Zeke and Pollard. You shouldn't be taking Cook and Madison. But that in best ball, there's certain unique combinations where based on the the opportunity cost that it takes to draft them, it's a savvy move to bet on that backfield and knowing each week one of those two guys is going to pop. Especially if you're if you're depending on an injury. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Darrington going in that 14th round, kind of similar to Penny in that range where you're where you're personally avoiding a guy like Xavier Joins. Yeah, I think it's it's far easier to see how Darrington Evans can fit into your build. I mean, how does Xavier Jones fit into your build? What I don't even know what his role is. Is is he the pass? Is he the pass down running back? Is he purely a breather back? Is he going to usurp Darrell Henderson? Gosh, I, have you not seen what McVay said today? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So you know he's getting a breather, but yeah, that's it's just basically a, if you're taking Xavier Jones, I think it's a bet against Henderson. Uh, you know, you certainly don't want to be taking them both together, but you're you're just basically betting that we lose Dan. Yeah, I think Dan throws out. Um, I will pivot over, uh, Josh. Quickly, what are your favorite stacks right now, underdog? Whether they're skinny or um, or in general, like what are, what are the ones you think are going to have positive EV? and could win people some serious cash this year. I, I have a few written down. So first off, you have to stack Seahawks. Just like we talked about at the start of the show where we love having the offense like Green Bay where we know that Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams have huge roles, write it in stone. Same with the Seattle Seahawks. We know that Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are going to be on the field taking – the majority of the targets when they're out there. I love having a double stack, single stack. Just give me at least one of those guys and then throw in someone like a Gerald Everett. I think that's a great double stack to have either Metcalf or Lockett with Everett. Plus you solve the tight end position where, I mean, no one knows what's going to happen with tight ends each week, but there's a good chance that if Wilson goes off, Everett has a nice week. Another one is... Brady with Antonio Brown and Gronkowski. I think Evans and Godwin are potentially a little mispriced where at least last year in the eight games that Evans, AB and Godwin overlapped, they all had between a 17 to 19% target share. And Antonio Brown was actually in the middle of that. He had a target share that was above Godwin and just below Evans. So if you can get Antonio Brown several rounds later, why not do that? We know it's a super high volume pass attack. So I really like the the AB Gronk combo. Gronk's a touchdown monster. He's been that every year of his career. He was that last year as well. This is a red zone threat. That's a great stack. A couple other ones, Mahomes Hill. I love, especially an underdog, if I grab Tyreek Hill with the eighth or ninth pick, every two to three times I do that, Mahomes slips to the early fourth. And I really hate going QB round three, but when you can get Mahomes round four, I really like that. I think that's just, there's no stack better than Mahomes Hill. Uh, Diggs Allen is kind of tough to get, but that's a really good one. Some other really attainable ones. 
I really like the double stack of Trevor Lawrence with ETN and then just any of those three receivers. Plant your flag on Chark, Chenault, Marvin Jones. This is the target leader. And then grab ETN as well because if it's a good offense, all three of those guys are probably going to do really well. And that ETN has a, a really substantial passing game role most likely. Tua with two of his three receivers. I think that's a really fun stack. So we grab Waddle, Fuller, Waddle, Parker, Cousins, Jefferson, or Cousins, Thielen. I think Thielen's a little bit rich at his ADP, but if you know that you're doing some type of stacking, I think it makes it more okay because it's another offense we think will be above average that's very consolidated. And then the final one is if you want, you just say, Josh, I want the easy stack. I don't even want to think about it. I just want to bank on it. All right. You have an early first round pick. Do whatever you want in the first round. Later second round, grab Darren Waller. This is, of course, the FFPC. You need kind of a late first pick, so then it's kind of flipped. But if you're in tight end premium, you kind of want that mid to late first. If you're in not tight end premium, the early first round picks, you get Waller at the end of the second. And then you can grab Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, Kenyon Drake, I think is a fun guy to sneak in there with Derek Carr. So that's kind of the the least expensive stack you can get is the Raiders, where they play in a dome, the defense is terrible, they're going to have to pass a lot, and I think that's a good stack. Theo, can I, can, I, can I just squeeze one more? I just got to ask him about one more stack. I love all those stacks. The Chicago stack, I've been telling Dan and Theo, like I just can't stop. Like I agree with you with the with the Hill Mahomes. By the way, when the, when the first puppy was running out, I signed up for as many as I could before the show started, like the slow drafts. And I'm pretty sure out of the whatever, I'm pretty sure like eighty percent of those were with Mahomes and, and Hill because it was just too easy to grab Mahomes. He was falling at at such a value. But I want to know your thoughts on the Chicago stack before we kind of move forward because I I feel like you can get a Rob early, then hit Mooney. And then, you know, whether you want to sprinkle RBs or not, you can hit that quarterback in fields uh, later on. So Chicago's an interesting one. I was kind of mixed, and I'd done some research, and it looked like a pretty good stack. And then, fortunately, J.J. Zacharyson put out this awesome podcast where he broke down that with rookie quarterbacks, none of them ever have supported two super fantasy-relevant options. And it kind of made me rethink doing the Fields double stack with Robinson and Mooney. Basically, you've never had two guys that are both in like the the wide receiver one, two, three category. It just it hasn't happened before. Probably the closest to it actually was Burrow with Higgins and Boyd, where it was kind of close prior to injury. But that just in general, if you have a high end guy like an Allen Robinson who we think is going to be a wide receiver one then it's really tough for a rookie quarterback to support another guy. So what I really like doing is either going Fields, Robinson, leave it, or Fields, Robinson, commit, commit yeah. or Fields, Robinson, Graham even, or uh, Fields, Mooney, commit, or Fields, Mooney, Graham. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a consolidated target share there, at least guys that we know of. So I think it's a good stack in that sense where we, nice. we can pinpoint a few guys that are going to do well. I still think Jimmy Graham is, I said it last year, saying it this year, he's still a sneaky, like, final round dark throw tight end. I mean, the guy had, I think he had eight touchdown catches last year and 50 overall receptions. He's not going away. Komet was drafted because he was an elite blocker. I feel like there's kind of this perception in the fantasy community. He's sort of this darling of like, oh, Komet, 
he's going to be such a good tight end this year in fantasy. Maybe, but we know that Jimmy Graham for years and years and years has been an elite red zone threat and was last year. So I think you can kind of take your pick that Komet usurps him and takes on more receiving work, or you say, you know what, Komet still has the blocking roll down and then grab Graham at the end. But I do like, if you're doing it, it has to be Fields. There's no way Dalton lasts more than three to four weeks this season. So I really like Fields with those guys where, at least with Robinson, his ADP kind of reflects more of a Dalton-type quarterback in that offense. And I kind of like that when you're stacking Fields with Robinson where whenever Fields takes over, Robinson could just be an absolute monster. Well, I, I see what you're saying. Like he's got that round one upside is basically what you're saying, even though you're getting him in that in that second round. Yeah, he. I mean, it would not surprise me, probably it wouldn't surprise anyone, if Allen Robinson leads the entire NFL in target share among receivers. He can legitimately be the 29, 30% target share type of player. We've seen him in the high 20s multiple seasons. And that's what I like is what if suddenly you get that type of target share in an offense that's throwing at a decent amount with a competent quarterback. Not the good, great, great takes. Um, st- that was some awesome stuff on stacking. There was one other piece this this summer you you did. It was actually a podcast on your Code Breaker podcast, and I thought it was excellent. Um, and and uh, everybody should check it out. But we've had a lot of talk about the running back dead zone. Um, and I thought that this was the best piece out there in the entire summer by anybody in fantasy football about the running back dead zone. You basically looked at it as an analytical perspective, and you came away with some some really, really sharp takeaways. Um, can you elaborate on that and talk about the players you should be targeting and the players you should be avoiding in that dead zone? So with the running back dead zone, there's a few things going on here. And one of the reasons it was intriguing to me is it just – it seemed hard to believe that a running back's fantasy ADP dictated how they did. That just, I never saw the connection where, oh, if he was, if he's a round three to round six pick, that's the dead zone. And I thought, you know, it doesn't really make sense. I don't think anyone is telling these round three through six running backs, hey, by the way, you're a dead zone running back. And then sure enough, that's, it's just eating away at them all season. And they have a terrible season. <laughs> And when I dove into the numbers, it turns out that really what these round three through six ADPs often indicate is that running backs are a scarce position. You have two to three starting receivers on every team. You only have one starting running back. So already it's a scarce position. And we know that it's a league winning position. Generally, the, the two to four highest scoring players in fantasy in any season among the running back receivers, they're probably going to be the running backs. We saw that last year where Adams was the one difference-making receiver, and then we had Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry. So we had multiple running backs that were giving you 20-plus points a week. So I thought, okay, everyone's chasing that league-winning upside at running back. What's wrong with these three through six guys? And it turns out they're just a lot older to begin with. They're often 25, 26 years old, which that doesn't sound that old. I'm older than that, but when you think about it from a running back's perspective, if they're coming in the league at 21-22 and they're 25-26, they're already beaten down and they're basically at the end of their first contract, if not on their second contract. They have a lot of wear on the tires. They're probably a lot older. 
And that right there, this is past the age apex where generally 25, 25 and a half is when a running back has his final most productive seasons and then kind of declines. So you're basically getting guys on the age decline. The other piece of this is that these round three through six running backs are frequently not pass catchers. And that's kind of why they're not a round one or round two pick is that people go, oh, this is more of a one-dimensional fantasy asset and that these one-dimensional fantasy assets at running back, generally they can't be a league winner unless their name is Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, to be a, quote, league winner, had to have 2,000 rushing yards for the eighth time in history with nearly 20 rushing touchdowns. That's what you shouldn't bet on. Now if we turn towards, well, I guess there's actually one more piece to the dead zone. It's kind of a flimsy role where maybe he's the starter in name only in that. It's kind of an ambiguous depth chart. And the guy isn't super proven, but we just, we think he's probably the starter. So in terms of guys that fit the bill of the quintessential dead zone running back for this year, the first name has to be Mike Davis. He kind of hits everything that you don't want in a running back in this range. He's really old. He's in his late 20s. The role is really flimsy. He's a starter in name only. Almost every other team, if Mike Davis was on the roster, you would say, oh, they have a competent backup running back. 90% of NFL rosters, if Mike Davis is on it, you don't go, oh, oh, of course, they took him to be the starter. So he has... The lack of, he has the age, which is going against him. He's kind of the starter in name only. He probably has the pass catching work at the least. So he's not like the worst dead zone running back pick in history, but it, it's, it's a pretty bad one. If you look at the trends, another dead zone running back, that's totally different would be a JK Dobbins because JK Dobbins is not a first or second round pick. So already he's hitting the dead zone. And then you have to think, well, why is he hitting the, the quote dead zone? It's because he doesn't catch passes. Yeah, I know he was good at catching passes in college, but this is the NFL. He has Lamar Jackson as his quarterback, and there is not any quarterback that's even remotely close to Lamar when it comes to just a total aversion to targeting the running back. And that's why Dobbins is a round three pick. It has nothing to do with his talent. I mean, who are the most talented pure runners in the NFL? It's probably Nick Chubb. And then, I mean, J.K. Dobbins has a case to be the second best pure runner. But the reason that you can't draft him in fantasy and why he looks like a dead zone round three back, he's not going to catch any passes. And that, yes, he's also the starter, but there's a heavily involved backup running back in Gus Edwards who was recently extended and is really good at football too. It is in the Ravens' best interest to play both Dobbins and Edwards. I mean, sure, per touch, Dobbins might be a little better, but you don't want to risk injury with him and Edwards is so similar per touch that there's no incentive for the Ravens to just completely ride Dobbins unless they're maybe, I don't know, in the playoffs trying to win that game to go to the Super Bowl, in which case, sorry, your regular season for fantasy is already over. So why, why do you even care at that point? So Dobbins looks like another one on the opposite end. And then the, the quote dead zone running back that I feel the strongest is not going to be a dead zone running back would be Deandre Swift. I see Wheeler in the chat saying that I love Gaskin. I like Gaskin too. He suffers a little bit from the the starter and name only, but I think that the 
the the draft was super encouraging with the Dolphins not ending up with a running back and Gaskin having an incredibly elite track record in college where he was a four-year starter and was just an absolute workhorse every year. And he was actually involved in all phases last year, very active in the passing game. So I think Gaskin's okay. But the guy I'm most passionate about is DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is young, so he checks the age box. It's only his second year. He checks the pass-catching box of being involved in all phases. He is, a, I would say, a top-five pass-catching running back. I mean, who are the guys that we can definitively say are better than Swift in the past game? Maybe Eckler, Kamara, CMC. He could be number four. He's at worst number five. So right there, Swift has the age, he has the pass catching, and he has the role. There is no world where Jamal Williams is getting more high-value touches and just in general out-touching DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift is a bell cow. The coaching staff even said it this morning. They used the word bell cow apparently when referring to Swift. They said this is the guy that's going to get a lot of the carries. This is the guy that's going to be the most active in the passing game. So DeAndre Swift checks every single box that you want in a running back. And there's two reasons that I think, or there's one reason that I think he's in the dead zone. Or I guess there's two reasons I think he's in the dead zone. And then my 2020 player comp for him. So we'll start with the 2020 player comp. How is DeAndre Swift any different than 2020 Miles Sanders, who was a round one, round two turn pick? This was a year two running back in Miles Sanders who flashed in the receiving game and was super efficient, just like Swift. And we crossed our fingers and said, I hope Sanders is more active in the running game as well. Sanders ended up being incredibly active in all phases. He had the sixth highest per game opportunity share among running backs. His issue was his offense was so atrocious and he suffered a case of the drops. He had nearly a 50% catch rate. So that's kind of what nuked Sanders. But Swift looks just like that. But he's not going at the one-two turn like Sanders. He's going in the mid to late third at this point. And you might say, well, why is that? I think there's two reasons. One of them, this narrative that the bad offense is bad for the running back which is true when the running back isn't a pass catcher. You can't game script out DeAndre Swift, no matter how good or bad the team is. And then the other portion of this is that we're talking about the running back dead zone right now. Did anyone guest on your podcast and talk about the dead zone last year? I suspect not. And if you had someone on, that was incredibly progressive because nobody was talking about the running back dead zone last year. There's such a short history of fantasy football, hardcore strategy, and analytics. So yes, this summer when everyone researches the dead zone, of course receivers get elevated and running backs get pushed down psychologically. So there's just so many reasons why I am passionate that Swift will buck the trend of dead zone running back and that I'm not ashamed to have more than my token 8% exposure to a player like DeAndre Swift in basically every format. Theo, before you keep the goodness going, maybe Dan will, will throw him some some great uh, questions here. But like, like our buddy Wheeler is saying, guys, smash the like. I mean, this is some, some serious goodness that uh, Josh is bringing to the table here tonight and, and just some good in-depth analysis on, uh, you know, topics that we're all curious about uh, this time of year. 
Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Absolutely. So while while I still have internet here, which has been fading in and out <laughs> on a regular basis, uh, as he freezes, <laughs> yes, man, I, I, I'm the freeze king tonight. Oh, go, we can hear you, man. Keep going, we can hear you. All right. Anyway, uh, so so Josh, who are some of your main targets in redraft? Who are you really looking to get? I mean, obviously, it sounds like Swift is one of them, uh, but who who are some other guys that you think are just absolute smashes at ADP right now? So I really like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, which is funny because I've historically been a big running back in the first round kind of guy. I think this year it's shaping up where those target shares are so consolidated. I mean, who is Tyreek Hill competing with? It's just him and Kelsey. There's really like Watkins is gone. Hardman is a situational field stretch gadget type guy. And then with Adams, they're basically just running it back. They grabbed a, a slot receiver in Amari Rogers. They... Apparently, they want Randall Cobb back. None of these look like moves that say we want to give Adams fewer than his 30% target share. So I think those are two great picks in the first round that aren't your typical, you have to go running back round one. Second round, I mentioned before, Waller. I think Waller is just such a great pick in the non-tight end premium formats where you can get him in the second round. Where when I did my projections, Waller ended up being closer to Kelsey than he was to Kittle. And that there's actually a bigger break between Kittle and Waller than there is Waller-Kelsey. I was actually surprised by that, but I mean, Waller's target share is upper 20%, and he's on a decently high-volume pass attack. The other second-round guy, and I, I cannot believe this is the guy that I have a ton of in redraft, is Najee Harris, a guy I have totally faded and have zero of in Dynasty because... I don't like how old he is. I don't like the direction this team is going. I'm not even convinced that he's that good of a prospect in a vacuum. But for this year, I mean, who? which running back is more teed up for 300-plus touches with some receiving work than Najee Harris? I can't really think of anyone that I can confidently say is going to have a better ratio of carries and targets. Like, sure, Henry's going to get more carries, but... We know how valuable targets are and that I'd probably take if you're just doing baseline carries plus targets. Najee Harris might have the best, most projectable combination of those two in the entire NFL this year. And he's frequently going at the end of the second, sometimes early third round. And I get it. The offensive line's not great, but the Steelers, this is a team every year they try and ride the running back Najee Harris is a pretty good one. He's way better than James Conner was. Remember all those Le'Veon Bell years? This this really looks like a situation where you're getting 275 to 300 carries and 40 to 60 targets in the late second, early third. Going a little later in drafts, I mentioned it before, I love Tyler Lockett. People just assume, oh, Tyler Lockett's going to get you 250 fantasy point performances and burn you every other week. That's not really how this works. What's more predictive is that he had a super high target share and had 100 receptions last year. I don't care how he did it. All I know is that he did it. And that historically, we shouldn't worry. It's just like, remember Will Fuller? We couldn't crack Will Fuller. We never knew when Will Fuller was going to go off. And then last year, suddenly he gets a more sustainable target share and just crushes it. That's kind of the Tyler Lockett thing where these guys that are super volatile when they're locked into a certain role, it generally doesn't last. 
I expect him to fully rebound, have another 100-catch type season, and be more consistent. Then the final one is Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne has the best of both worlds. Think about how we always want the mobile quarterback when it comes to yards per carry. And we say, oh, you you have to get the Konami quarterback with that running back. Man, imagine how the linebackers are focused on the quarterback. That's going to open up rushing lanes for the running back. But then the naysayers go, oh, but you know, those mobile quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, they don't target the running back. Why would you dump the ball off when you can just run for 10 yards? Fortunately, we have the best of both worlds with Lawrence, where Lawrence is a mobile quarterback that should help out ETN's efficiency. And spoiler alert to everyone fading ETN, Trevor Lawrence gave him nearly 50 catches and almost 600 receiving yards last season. So we don't even have to worry about the mobile quarterback not targeting the running back because we've seen it. They've been teammates for three years. So those are all the guys that I am vigorously drafting early and often right now in my drafts. Is it a coincidence that Etienne's best comparable is Swift on the on the on the PP site? <laughs> you know, I believe it. I feel like it's it's probably reflective of not just that they're similar players in many ways with their production frame, but also that this pass catching running back in college didn't always used to be a thing. So these guys that have these outrageous target totals in college—that's not how it used to be. You can look up a guy like Ladanian Tomlinson who had a 100-catch season in the NFL, and you'd be shocked. I don't think he ever hit – I don't even think he had 20 catches in any college season. So that's kind of a newer school thing, the super hyperactive in the past game running back. So a lot of these guys start to look more comparable to each other, it, these recent running backs. And is there anybody a little a little later um, drafts um, that, that you're really targeting? Maybe a late round guy or a mid round guy. So uh, a few of the guys that are in kind of those middle to late rounds. I mean, I really like Emmanuel Sanders. I know there's a lot of people out there. They are they are hardcore Gabe Davis fans, and I I don't get it. Gabe Davis is getting drafted ahead of the two receivers that are ahead of him on the depth chart. I mean, Gabe Davis is behind Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders. I don't quite understand why people are taking him first. It's not like he's even this hyper-talented player. He's a he's a day three rookie who ran exceptionally pure with touchdowns. I don't know who else had seven touchdowns their rookie season and one in five of their catches was a touchdown. Anthony Miller. Remember Anthony Miller? There was a little bit of Anthony Miller hype where it was like, oh, you had a pretty good rookie season. No, we didn't. You just had seven touchdowns. Get over yourself. That's the Gabe <laughs> Davis thing. Seven touchdowns. People just love seven or more receiving touchdowns or whatever. There's something about it where it just feels like they had such good spike weeks. And then you realize that Gabe Davis had a 10% target share and is still the fourth option on the depth chart. So I really like Emmanuel Sanders, where for some reason he's often the fourth Buffalo receiver off the board. He and Beasley kind of oscillate based on whatever Beasley's Twitter posts that week are. (laughs) (laughs) And Sanders, I mean, he's going to be the number two option there most likely. He's had close to a 20% target share the past few seasons, and that should probably continue in a super high-volume offense. And then... uh, Two super late running backs that I think you should target anytime you feel like you need another running back in your draft. Ty Johnson still has a shot to, 
to be the starter in a few games this year. Do we really think that undersized day three rookie Michael Carter is going to start every single game? I don't think so. Tevin Coleman, the guy that hasn't been relevant for two seasons and is getting old and can't stay healthy. Do we think that's the other guy that is just such an insurmountable obstacle? Insert Ty Johnson, who's still young, had two games last year with six targets. So we know that he has pass game abilities. And when he got the carries last year in his one game, he had over 100 rush yards. So I like that he has the rushing ability and the receiving ability. The other guy is Jarek McKinnon. I think I mentioned him before very briefly. I think he's a smash right now. I believe he's going to grab that number two running back chair from Daryl Williams, who's not really good at anything other than somehow he just gets out on the field. I'm not quite sure how he's the, the magician of Daryl Williams and his 4-7-40 time and lack of pass catching ability, who's just always out on the field. I really think that's going to be McKinnon's role. And we know he's a good pass catcher. And we know that he can be a dynamic runner when called upon. He had many big weeks last year with the Niners. So why can't he do it again this year? It seems like he's going to be just one more year removed from his surgeries. He could be healthier this year than last year. So McKinnon's the other late round guy, very late, that I think you should really be scooping up. My my last pick in the fishbowl was uh, was McKinnon. And uh, same reason. I mean, I mean, anyone in that KC offense, especially when it's at the end of a draft, um, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, Daryl Williams basically being the competition uh, in there. Let, let's throw a, a quick OTC. Uh, Wheeler was a, a huge uh, participant tonight in, in the chat. He wanted to know about one last OTC here with CeeDee Lamb and McLaren, two guys with a lot of hypes uh, going into this season. I'm going CeeDee Lamb, but... It's close. Yeah. Awesome. Theo, uh, anything we didn't, I know we, we kind of, uh, we're at a buck 25. We didn't, uh, we weren't polite enough to ask Josh if he had a curfew or if his, his girlfriend's waiting for him or anything like that. I want to, I want to quickly get Josh's fades. Um, you don't have to do the whole draft, but give me a couple guys in the first few rounds that you are very hesitant about and you think could really flop this season at ADP. So we talked about him a little bit with the the Taylor-Chubb dichotomy. I think Chubb has been a fade for me kind of this whole offseason and still is just because he doesn't quite get as many touches as people seem to think he does. Like he's not Derrick Henry in the running game with his workload. He's rarely hitting 20 carries and he's not involved in the passing game at all. So... I think Chubb, it's just it's a tough case to see him outperforming his ADP dramatically. I think he's a really safe pick in the sense, I mean, how could Chubb bust? Because he's so good at football. But I, I just really don't see any type of league winning upside with him. And I'd rather just go receiver where they get injured less, they're more stable, or another running back that has higher upside because they have pass game involvement. Another one, uh, I think I mentioned before, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. A little tough to draft them when I can grab Antonio Brown several rounds later. And he right now it seems like he's going to have a very similar role in the offense. J.K. Dobbins I mentioned before. He's another guy that I'm fading in the third round. And then this one's really painful. D.J. Moore is on my fade list. I do not quite understand why Sam Darnold, who has always been a horrible quarterback, 
and has never really supported all that much fantasy relevance of anybody is suddenly going to help CMC be the RB1 in fantasy, DJ Moore be a high-end wide receiver two, low-end wide receiver one, Robbie Anderson as a wide receiver two type. And then, oh, I forgot. Oh, yeah, Terrace Marshall is supposed to be really good too. So he's really going to eat in that offense. Yet the only time we've seen Darnold support anyone fantasy relevant was, remember that half season? I think it was was like a half season of Robbie Anderson. There was at one point, Robbie Anderson and Darnold had a few good games. That's about it. I just don't see how him going to a new system where we always talk about, oh, you have to fade the quarterback on the new team. But Darnold, it's okay because he got away from Gase. I mean, really, do we think Gase is just that incompetent that he ruined Darnold and that Darnold was actually some superstar? I think Ryan Tannehill and his success post-Gase is kind of the reason that DJ Moore's ADP is so high. And I just don't like buying into... Tannehill did it, so Darnold's going to do it. When Tannehill was actually a far more competent quarterback over a larger sample size than Darnold. So I just, I don't see it with DJ Moore. I mean, he didn't even have as many targets as Robbie Anderson. He wasn't even the target leader on the team last year. We don't even know what to expect. So he's one of my favorite players. I have a lot of him in Dynasty, but in redraft, I just, I can't pull the trigger in the late 30s, early 40s. And then the last guy, this is often the most controversial because he has such staunch supporters because of the measurables. And I get it. I work at player profiler, but I'm about to fade Noah Fant, even though he's a 99th percentile athlete at the tight end position. And you might say, well, how can you fade Noah Fant when he's a 99th percentile athlete at the tight end position? It's actually quite simple for a tight end to truly break into that upper echelon and to become a Waller, a Kittle, a Kelsey. You have to be the number one or number two option in your pass attack, preferably the number one option. I mean, Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, they've kind of been the number one option. That's kind of why I like Hawkinson in many ways is that Hawkinson looks like probably the number one option in Detroit. Those targets are his. Fant is, I mean, I don't even know what he is. He's probably the number three option there behind both Sutton and Judy. And it's probably a run first offense. And you might say, well, how can it be a run-first offense when there's Sutton and Judy and Fant? I'll tell you how. I saw the NFL draft unfold. I saw the Broncos pass on Justin Fields and then trade up for Javante Williams in the second round. If we're going to buy into any kind of narrative, that sounds a whole lot like a team that wants to run the ball more. You pass on the franchise quarterback and then trade up for a running back. So if you're telling me that this is going to be potentially a run-heavy team where Noah Fant is the third receiving option on that team, and it's already, we don't like the quarterbacks. What is Noah Fant's path to difference-making upside? I think he's very safe in this safe, in the sense that, yeah, he's going to have probably 550 to 700 receiving yards. But I just don't see any type of difference-making upside. And there's so many other tight ends later on and receivers and running backs in that range that I think have a much clearer path and don't need injuries to strike to be to to greatly exceed their ADP. I just can't fathom a world where Fant greatly exceeds his ADP unless Sutton or Judy goes down for most of the season. I mean, even last year, Sutton was out of the for the whole season. Noah Fant wasn't winning you any leagues. I thought that was 100% great. I agree. 
Hundred percent agree. I, I give me Gronk at his ADP over Fanta. You're muted. JD's <laughs> muted. Yep. No, all good. Uh, Dan, keep going. I just because his uh, his picture froze. I didn't know if you guys were hearing. Go ahead, Dan. Okay. Yeah. So I, I I'd much rather have like a, a Gronk or a Gerald Everett or somebody like that at their ADP than than Fanta his ADP. I mean, you know, to me, Fanta's a fine player, but it, it, his ADP is just way too rich for me. Uh, you know, we just have, as you said, Josh, we just haven't seen him really, you know, become a primary option in that offense. He's always been, you know, at best secondary and usually tertiary. I've actually, I'll actually butt heads with you guys on this. I'm, I'm willing to draft Noah Fant kind of around his ADP. I still think he's, you said he's an exceptional athlete. He's flashed in a number of games. Um, I can see the the reservations where Judy's going to command a, a ton of targets, but I do have some apprehension on, on Sutton coming back from injury, um, and I, I I will take some bets on on Fant, but uh, I do think he's priced kind of at, at the, the top of the range where I would consider him. Yeah, he's at the top of that tier, and yeah. and I was going to say Dan, just following in in Josh's boss's footstep, I I, I think we need to 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 adjust the uh, title. Uh, maybe fading Fant like a boss uh, is Josh lucky tonight because I, I, I got to be honest. And, and again, I'm, I'm, my, my, I'm a bit limited these days, but I have not heard that take anywhere when it comes to Fant. And I think it's a, it, you know, a lot of our listeners are in tight end premium leagues, you know, namely the FFPC, my FFPC.com, by the way. And that's why I want to bring attention to that because, you know, you talked about Goddard. And I think that people are fading Goddard maybe in that range, and they're they're very similar. They're usually going in the same round uh, because of the uncertainty in Philly. So, as much as you have that uncertainty in in Denver, interesting to know that you're fading it all together. Um, yeah, and I I think I am a hundred percent faded on Fant. I don't think I own a single share anywhere. Theo, why is, why, a, why is Dan freezing uh, while he's grabbing his neck? And why is this the first we hear that he's fading Fant? I don't know. Is he just is he holding no. back as we draft with him? Is that what's going on? <laughs> no, I think uh, I you know I think it's a, it's a, in FFPC it's an interesting argument because Fant's going in like the seventh round, so yeah. it's an oppor- opportunity cost thing where you know like like Josh said, it's other players around him. Um, you know, there's a quarterback, some of these running backs, uh, you know, that's kind of a, a very nice place to have a wide receiver as well. So Goddard and Fant are kind of weird. They're in their own little tier in FFPC. And then yeah. like Lo- Logan Thomas, once in a while, Logan Thomas goes behind each of them. And once in a while, you'll have a, a drafter who loves Logan Thomas where he'll creep into like that very end of the sixth or seventh as well. So it's kind of a weird tier of, of tight ends to begin with. Um and uh, yeah, I can I can see the kind of reservations about each one of them, um, and the and the upside on each of them as well. Yeah, I would I would definitely take Logan Thomas there, because yes, Terry McLaurin's clearly number one there, but I mean I really like Samuel. I think he's a fun player. He's dynamic. He's not practicing right now. He's injured. He's switching teams. So there's a lot going against Curtis Samuel. He's also never been more or we've never really seen him succeed other than this past season when he, this last year he crushed it, but he was also the third option in that offense. You could even say he was the the third option in the past game, fourth overall option, even behind Mike Davis. So I think that Logan Thomas has a pretty decent chance to end up being the number two option behind McLaurin there, 
in what I think is going to be a better passing attack in Washington with Fitzpatrick than with Bridgewater or Locke. So that's why I would take Logan Thomas and why he's actually a tight end that I'm slightly above consensus on. And then the, his recent extension was kind of icing on the cake for me where I already felt like he had a pretty secure role. And then when the extension happened, I was like, you know what? They think that he's their tight end of the future and that whatever this very weird contention window that they're in where they're kind of doing the bridge quarterback while also sort of looking like the best team top to bottom in their own division. It's kind of strange. But that whatever this unique contention window is, that Logan Thomas does look like a focal point of it and that I think he right now looks like their number two option in the receiving game. This is a shout-out back-to-back weeks of uh, of best talk. Logan Thomas. Um, I was going to say Jax, Jax Falcone, right? <laughs> Jax yep. Falcone's all over Logan Thomas as well. So this is uh, who, who, nice did, who did he who did he compare him to? Theo, I was trying to remember, uh, uh, like breakout wise, who was he comparing him to? Was it Kittle? He, Waller. He, he it was, Waller. was it Waller? It was Waller. You're right. It, right. And Waller and um, you know, he he put asterisks on that and he, and he spelled it back. But in terms of you know what they are athletically. It was Waller um, and a couple other factors, so that was pretty cool. And shout out to to Cody Carpentier in the in the yes. uh, in the room watching. That's awesome to see. Yep. Yeah, I think that with Thomas, I've actually made the Waller comparison. And the way I've made it is, I actually don't think their skill sets are particularly similar. But with Darren Waller, we all saw it. He was ridiculously good in 2019. And then what did we all say? We're like, you know, I don't know. Is his role secure? They took Henry Ruggs. Let me see it again. So then he goes in, what, the sixth round and was one of the two or three biggest league winners that you possibly could have drafted last year. I don't see that happening with Logan Thomas, but I think it's kind of like the Waller light situation where Logan Thomas commands well over 100 targets, is one of the focal points of this offense, and people are going, well, it's kind of an unconventional path. He's an old tight end. He's kind of old. He's in his late 20s somehow. What happened to him? Just like with Waller, it's like, oh, he's like 28 now. What happened? Why do we like this guy? I think it's a flash in the pan. And I think that's the big parallel I see is that I thought Logan Thomas was for real and that people seem to be wanting to say, I have to see it again. We saw what happened with Waller. He just got a lot better. Year two as a full-time tight end. Turns out you can make a pretty big leap and... I mean, Logan Thomas could make that leap. I think it's less likely, and I think his leap wouldn't be as great. But it's the idea that right now you're drafting him in a place where people are assuming that there's no more room for growth. If not, even he'll regress slightly from last season. Right now he's being drafted well below where he finished last year. And it's not ready to, to write off Logan Thomas as 2020 was the ceiling year when he just transitioned to tight end. Yeah, to me, that's the key right there, Josh, is he just transitioned to tight end, you know, so there's still room, you know, whereas your your standard, you know, 28, 29, 30-year-old tight end, you know, he, he, he he's on the downside. Um, but you can have those guys who transition late, like Waller and, uh, and Logan Thomas, and they're still, you know, kind of getting things figured out. And so there's, you know, there's possibly even room for improvement even now. Yeah. Hundred percent, and his metrics are no joke either. You know, oh, yeah. do a check out player profiler. I mean, the he he's the 
he's basically what we hoped Austin Safarian Jenkins would would become. You know, the best comparable on on player profiler. And uh, he basically, yeah, like very similar, actually, storylines, even narratives uh, behind the two players. He, he is one of those three-syllable guys. Not, it's not athlete. It's athlete, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's all, that's only in Minnesota, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That is guys. probably true. Guys, we're at a buck 40. And uh, Larky's expensive, so let, let's face it, man. He's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's not cheap. No, I'm joking, man. Lark, honestly, uh, I'm, I'll, let, I'll let Theo and, and Dan add anything that we haven't touched that maybe we missed that they really want to ask maybe when, when they do their, uh, their little exit. But uh, I want to thank you, Josh. You're, not only are you generous with, with your time, you're just, you're just a good guy to deal with, man. You're a nice guy. You're super smart. Uh, I really appreciate where you're taking uh, certain aspects of this industry. I think it's, I, I, I love when people take, take it in a new, new direction, you know, and, and I feel like you're doing that. Uh, so uh, dude, it, tonight's been awesome. It, it's been awesome. I'm sure uh, anyone listening will, will agree guys smash the like, uh, you know, Josh has, has brought a lot of goodness tonight and check out his articles. We talked about the, uh, the stacking uh, guide. I mean, this is like the one one of stacking. This, this is a must read Go to playerprofiler.com and check out Josh's article. Check out Codebreaker. And uh, Josh, anything I missed? Anything else you want to add uh, before we close this out? No, I think you nailed it. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at JLarkyTweets. My DMs are open, so if there's something that you can't find, you can always just shoot me a DM, and I'll try to get back to you pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I was pretty excited to be able to come back on Oh, we've got Josh in the chat. Yes, the burrito king. <laughs> for those who don't know, I eat a lot of burritos. But yeah, thanks for having me. I was really excited to do round two because I thought this was one of the most fun shows, if not the most fun show that I'd guested on kind of all off season. So I really enjoyed it because I think you guys are kind of like... Kind yeah, of- we had to give you some air horns tonight and that, that seemed like I the like right spot. I think of you guys as kind of like the pioneers that set the groundwork for me where you've been playing fantasy a lot longer than I have. You've been out in these streets way longer than I have. You've been playing higher volume longer than I have. And that, how did I think to write a stacking article? It's because there's a lot of buzz around stacking. I'm sure you guys have been stacking for years. It's not like you read my article and were like, oh, I should stack. So what I'm doing is really just connecting the dots in many ways and that you think of me as being innovative with my research. And I kind of think of you guys stacking in the first place as innovative when naive me several years ago was not a stacker. Four years ago, I did not stack because I was sure you should hedge. Like It's like the stock market. You have to hedge. So that's what I, I think is kind of the, the one point of that that you didn't bring up is that I don't really necessarily see myself as super innovative because I'm just taking strategies that other people have talked about and then figuring out if it has merit or not. And then in the case of stacking, the merit is there. So yeah, thanks for having me. Well, you you, yeah, you, you nailed it. Uh, you know, wh- whichever the intention, you, you definitely nailed it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the people listening echo the appreciation that, uh, uh, we want to share with you and express, uh, with you for your time tonight, Theo, I'll go to you. Uh, and next just, you know, you, you, uh, mm-hmm. 
you had a nice plan when, when it came to Josh coming back on the show tonight. How, what did you think of the show and uh, anything else you want to share with the peeps uh, before we close bad boy out? No, I thought it was, I thought it was great for Josh to come back on. Um, you know, we had such an awesome show with him the first time that now we're getting close to the nitty gritty. It was great to have him come on and give his guys and uh, yeah, definitely check out uh, Josh's pods. They're super informative. Um, the dead zone one was my favorite, but they've all been great. Um, and definitely check out that stacking article. I retweeted this morning. Um, it is like one of the best things I've, I've read in a long time. And uh, yeah, this was awesome. Um, I can't think of a better way to, uh, to start out August than what we just put out there for the GOAT district. Yeah, and before I go to Dan, Theo, we have some more goodness coming uh, coming this week on on Thursday. I uh, know th- it's uh, next, it's actually sorry, sorry, week. sorry, next yeah. week. Sorry, just just sorry. <laughs> give it, give a quick preview. I'm mixing my two weeks up. August to me is like the next three weeks. I'm I'm off for a lot of it, so it's like a blur. But just what I just give the people some hints on who's coming up, man. We got some some more VIPs coming up. Well, uh, Dan can help me out with this, but I know next week um, Dwayne McFarlane comes back on. Um, and Todd. We, yeah, we also have Todd. Um, and uh, we have a couple other pods kind of in in the mix, but the dates have not been set. But we have some great guests coming on for August for sure. Guys, yeah. July July was loaded, and and August is no different. Dan. Yeah. So uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm really going to be excited to rewatch this so I can catch the half of it that I missed while I was froze up. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a pleasure to have you on josh because what i what i really like about you is you know you've got that natural curiosity that you really need to have to uh you know to become one of the best in the fantasy football industry and just you know you, you you just you ask questions all the time and then you chase down for the answers and that's really all you know you're, you're talking about us that have been in the game for a long, long time. And, you know, you're doing exactly the same things that we've we've always done. And that's, you know, that's the only way you can possibly improve is just to to have that level of curiosity and to, to be tenacious about chasing it down and uh, and finding out whether you're right or you're wrong or, you know, somewhat on the right track or whatever. Uh, so appreciate that. It's, a, a, you know, you're a joy to follow because of the fact that you're always doing that. You know, and you find some things that, you know, I I see and I'm like, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, that's a great question to ask. And then I get to see you answer it, too. So um, absolutely a very, very worthwhile follow, whether you've been in the game for a long time or a short time. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, you know, t- tonight was great. Um Guys, it's an important time of the year. And and like we said, you're you're tuning in for a reason. We we hope that we helped you on on this this kind of uh adventure through the off season, which is always kind of tricky. You know, you, you don't want to give too much weight to, to the headlines. Um you, you want to fine-tune your strategies depending on the formats. And we're we're hoping that we're helping you out with that, getting getting those little edges. And a guy like Josh, I mean, the goodness he brings is uh, you know, it's it's um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? God damn, Dan, I'm thinking in French again. Help me out, brother. <laughs> in, invaluable. I, 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 I need Is that the word I'm looking for? It's invaluable, guys. No, seriously, like like just the in-depth. And like you said, Dan, that curiosity is what leads all of us down the same track that that he's he's going with with these great thoughts and 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 the analytics of it. So 
again, we appreciate Josh. Check out his goodness. Check out Player Profiler, the Breakout Finder, all the goodness that he's bringing analytics-wise uh, to fantasy. Guys, overhyped sleeper and Theo, uh, the OG. These guys, uh, similar, you know, just bringing goodness, whether it's them drafting, whether it's them tweeting, uh, whether it's them replying to a trade question the, that you're asking them. Make sure you tag these guys on your question. Tag the GOAT district. Uh, and again, smash the like, guys. We're, we're trying to do everything we can to help you win, you know, going into 2021. This is fun. It's great talking strategy. It's great going against, you know, zigging when people are zagging. At the end of the day, we want to win. We want to win the league. We want to win the money. We want to win the title. We want to be able to brag. And that's what we're here to bring. This is one part of this channel. We've got Shelly, Mr. Schellenberg, Andrew, with Theo dropping the, the, the quarter milli billies, the half milli billies. We had uh, the ship chasers. We had a back-to-back FFPC champ on here, $750,000 the man won playing fantasy. So again, guys, the biggest guests, the biggest winners on this channel, make sure you tune in. Make sure you get all the goodness. Uh, we'll be back next week for a little more Goat District, uh, a little back-to-back goodness, as Theo shared with you guys. Be safe, be happy. And as we say every week, guys, we'll check you all. You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy Trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish, fish.